is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. The only way that I was able to make it through that time, and this is the truth, was my faith in God. I knew that one day he was going to bring me out. And I lived my life with an eye toward one day walking out of those doors a free woman. And the day that I got the news that President Trump had granted my clemency and given me a second chance in life was the best day of my life. Uh-oh. She said the G word. And she said Trump in the same breath. What do you think is worse uh, to the left these days, by the way? You think uh, God is more profane, or or do you think Trump is? Hey, a little food for thought. By the way, uh, any any folks on the left, welcome to uh, to call in, 877-381-3811. Uh, be interested to get your thoughts on uh, what the, the bigger profanity is these days, God or, or Trump. I'm going to walk you through the Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain suicides, the spike in suicides generally. The lack of morality in our schools, the lack of morality in our society, and tie together what's been going on with the violence in our schools, the violence in our society, the spike in suicides. And if that sounds a little convoluted, I don't think it is. So we're going to get to it. But first, you're going, who is this guy? I am uh, not in an underground bunker. I'm uh, barely above sea level in West Palm Beach. I am Brian Mudd. Uh, I do a morning show, WJNO, in West Palm Beach. I do a mid-morning show, WIOD, in Miami. And it is always an honor and a pleasure to be in for the great one, Mark Levin. He's like the, the Babe Ruth. He's the, the cleanup hitter. And, uh, you know, it, all the shows all throughout the day, if nothing's been said, it doesn't matter if the bases are loaded or if nobody's on. He's calling a shot. He's knocking it out of the park. You can kind of look at me as like the, the pre-All-Star version of Ben Zobrist. Yeah, it's like, uh, hey, just you know, stick him in a position somewhere. Yeah, he'll do stuff. It'll work out. So I'm like the, the serviceable utility guy. That's the way you can look at me. And if you're not familiar with my work, shame on you, because that means that you've missed Mark Levin's show previously. And all can be forgiven, provided that you never do it again. But just to kind of set you up with the way that I work, I'm an analyst by trade, and I work on some concepts. I have very strong opinions, but they're all based on fact. You'll hear me say that there are two sides to stories and one side to facts. And I base everything off of a premise. Simply put, if the premise of anything is false, anything built on that, it's probably going to be false too. And that's where I'm going to work you through how I think a lot of what's wrong with our society is related. We take a look at the the high-profile suicides, the really sad suicides. Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain. And you, you go, wow, you know, these people had it all. And you, you know they had problems. You, you hear about their histories. But it's not just them. They get the attention when it happens because they're big time. They're celebs. What was interesting was just yesterday, I was working on a story off of the CDC research showing a spike of 30% in suicide since 1999. 30% since 1999. I mean, that's a lot, isn't it? What happened around 99 that changed everything? So it's not just them. Okay. Now, 
I mentioned something about the schools. When did things really start to change in our schools? Think back. Huh? In terms of violence, it was 1999, wasn't it? It was Columbine. Now, maybe that's a coincidence. It, it potentially is, but there is an underlying story here. So let's walk back a little bit further. You go back to the creation of the Department of Education for a minute. Passed in 1979, went into effect in 1980. What's happened to our education in this country since 1980? When the Department of Education was created, when it was created, the United States was second in the world, second only to the Aussies, in outcomes, in average outcomes. Where are we today? Most recently, we're at 17th. So pre-Department of Education, we are second in the world in average education outcomes. We have this blessed Department of Education, and we have been on a 38-year losing streak. 38-year losing streak. Now, who stays on a 38-year losing streak and continues to do the same thing? I mean, that's like stuck on stupid, right? So the first thing is, we're stuck on stupid when it comes to the way that we're going about our education system. But this isn't so much about the X's and O's and about the actual scores or how much knowledge kids have coming out of school right now. Talking about something that is related to life and the lack of morality. Because what was it that the Department of Education, aside from sending us down this path of poor education outcomes, what else was it that they began working on the eradication of God, of values, of morality from the classroom, right? Started in the 80s. By the 90s, it really took off. One of the things that dawned on me recently, I've been doing this just over 20 years. I remember very early on in my career, I used to talk about, you know, this is not going to be good. I mean, we, we are taking a lot of the values that are good in our schools we're taking them out. You, you see what's changing in terms of the education and, and the curriculum. That That's not going to be good. And it was almost like this thing to where for years you would say it and you would almost not see it as being real. In recent years, it, I realized, holy cow, what I was talking about, what a lot of folks were talking about back then, it's here. It's real. But one of them in particular because we always focused on the education outcomes. It's about morality, and it's about violence. And here's the deal. The G word. Alice Johnson, fresh off of her pardon by President Trump, oddly enough, based on a meeting with Kim Kardashian at the White House. By the way, as an aside, I mean, that was like one of the most awkward photo ops ever. Kim Kardashian standing next to President Trump sitting down, in the Oval Office, just as an aside. But as we know, it turned out to be a very productive meeting. Alice Johnson ends up being pardoned, okay? And you hear what she had to say. She never gave up. Here you have folks like Spade, like Bourdain, got everything, battling their own demons. They didn't overcome it. Here's a woman who on a drug charge, been in prison for how many years? And what does she do? She prays, she believes. What happened? I mean, look at this, right? You see the difference? And this is the thing about God. You know, the great one, he's Jewish. 
Me, I'm Catholic. Actually, if I'm being honest, full disclosure, I'm like part-time Catholic and part-time evangelistic. And if that sounds really odd, it is. I mean, it's like culture shock. And uh, you can ask my wife Ashley about it. But the thing is, you can be an atheist. You can be an atheist. The values and the morality that come with God, that come with believing in something bigger than yourself, they're good for our society. It didn't matter if you specifically agreed with Judeo-Christian values, if they were even expressed in the classroom. The values underlying them, good for society, good for young people in the classroom. Now, 99, Columbine. We didn't realize what was really going on at that point because Columbine happened, and then seemingly we didn't have a proliferation for a little while yet. Okay. Well, there could be a reason or several behind that. What have we seen? Okay, so it was this creeping crud to where we removed morality from the classroom, at least the way it had been once upon a time. What, what is the inverse of that? Well, it's going to be immorality, right? Okay, so suddenly you open up the door. Combine happens, and you have this whole generation of young people that have now been raised in schools and are being raised in schools, the current generation, because you go back to 99, who are those people that are being born then? They're the people graduating uh, over the past couple of years, right? When we got all the school violence, think about that. But what else has changed? Well, we see the proliferation of social media. Okay. Now, there are plenty of studies out there that show that uh, it, it can be used for a lot of good, right? However, Facebook, for example, average adolescent that visits Facebook, and a lot of them, you know, these days use Instagram, Snap more than than Facebook, but fact remains, and how many of these shooters in schools, by the way, how many of them have had very long and traceable Facebook pages and Instagram accounts that we could see the, the writing on the wall? The average person feels worse after visiting them than before they went there. No question it's harder to be a parent. No question it's harder to be a student today than ever before. And part of the reason for that, if for no other reason, you you take those that are the most vulnerable. You take those that maybe were bullies themselves or bullied people that have problems. What's going to happen when the school day ends, but the negativity doesn't? So you go back to our time in school, and it didn't matter if it was the kid being bullied. At least at the end of the school day, it stopped. It at least stopped until the next time they went back to school. That doesn't happen anymore, though, does it? It continues all the time because it's always there in social media. It's always there in line, and all we do is spend more time with it. So what's going to happen? Well, naturally, and all the research shows this, it exacerbates the extremes. And so you get some of this reaction. Now, why is this all important? As we're having a conversation about any number of different issues in our society, the proliferation of suicides, according to the CDC, 30% spike since 1999. 30% spike. So we're talking about proliferation of violence in our schools. What really is the focus there about? Anybody talk about morality or the lack thereof or 
people simply focus on gun control or simply trying to control the evil. I mean, yes, there are plenty of things that we should do to harden our schools, enhance school security and the like. Sure. But that's just attempting to control evil. I mentioned the premise. Why is it that we're not really looking at addressing the root, the premise of the evil, and why people who used to just kind of be those kids are now the kids that shoot up schools? That we have plenty of people that aren't celebrities and stars that commit suicide in numbers that they never did before. Why is it that we don't talk about what's really at the root cause of all of this negativity in our society? And I'm going to pick up there next. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mud Lovin. Nobody knows, like Alice yesterday. I thought Kim Kardashian was great because she brought Alice to my attention. Alice was so great, and the way she left that jail and the tears and the love that she has with her family, I mean, to me, that was better than any celebrity that I can pardon. Well, President Trump, as he was uh, getting ready to head out to the G7, and that's a whole other story. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, all kinds of fun and festivities uh, taking place there and in advance of it as well. Uh, but uh, catch you up to speed if you're just joining us. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. And uh, without reliving too much history here, bottom line, if you go back to the Department of Education's creation, 1980, we have seen a consistent decline in outcomes in education. But the only thing uh, that, that changed was not just uh, the education outcomes, but also the removal of God, the removal of morality from schools, from our society generally. And we have seen a proliferation, not just of violence in schools, but also in suicides. And if you take a look at some of the high-profile suicides, uh, that's one thing. And that's really tragic and really sad. But that is not really the the big story. The big story, CDC's reporting yesterday, suicides up 30% since 1999. Uh, I think, not so coincidentally, the year that Columbine happened that kind of kicked off this whole awful era that we're in. And I think there is a lot of this that ties together. Now, what I left off saying was that we talk about controlling evil. It's about gun control. It's about hardening schools. It's about school security. Some of the ideas of which have lots of legitimacy to them, but still don't fix the problem. All we're doing is trying to control evil. Wouldn't it be nice if we just didn't have as much evil? Wouldn't it be nice if people thought there was an answer, something better, and they didn't look towards suicide? We have a lot of, of catalysts for change. But the guns are not new. Guns been around long before 99. Yeah, you got a proliferation of, of mental health issues, and yes, we have evidence that digital Adaptation to specifically social media as the catalyst behind it. Okay. But still, teenage angst and stress, stress in our society, nothing new. But what is different? What really is different in our society? And that's why I walk you back. Because the things that have changed in our society, what has been taken out of it? The belief in something that's bigger than you, the belief in, in, 
a better way, a path forward. And I say again, you could be an atheist in the values, the morals, implicit with God, with faith, with those beliefs. It's good for society. So it would be one heck of a coincidence if right in lockstep with the adaptation of the Department of Education, we went on a 30-year losing, 38-year losing streak that we're still on with education outcomes. At the same time that they remove a sense of, of God and faith and, and something bigger than oneself with our young people, and we see a proliferation of violence with the subsequent generations in the classroom. At the same time, we see a proliferation of suicides in our society with a hallmark of some of the really high-profile suicides. Is all that a coincidence? I'm sure somebody would say yes. But again, a lot of things, a lot of things would have to come together for that to be true. And here's the deal. Is it getting any better? Are we placing a higher priority on morality in our society? Are we spending less time on social media? Are we becoming more physically active and engaged in talking to people rather than just sitting around in angst? And that's my concern is that we aren't looking towards real answers. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Your vote for Mark today for the National Radio Hall of Fame. You can vote by text and email. Text the number 500 to 96,000 and vote at RadioVote.com. They're trying to act like, well, we fought with you in the wars. They don't mention the fact that they have trade barriers against our farmers. They don't mention the fact that they're charging almost 300% tariffs. When it all straightens out, we'll all be in love again. <laughs> oh, it's just kind of awesome. We'll all be in love again. Uh, you know, there, there's always entertainment there. And by the way, that little uh, presser before he hopped on uh, Air Force One to go to the G7 today had plenty of material. I mean, it was, it was uh, many parts entertainment. You, you get your popcorn-ready kind of material, but then also instructive. Because one of the things that comes about with what President Trump has been doing with this whole tariff talk, with his tweeting about tariffs, he's been educating people. How many people knew, really, that we had tariffs all over the place by other countries imposed on us? Now, most people still probably that are, are fairly uninformed think that Trump invented modern tariffs. Well, not by a long shot. We had tariffs on all kinds of things by all countries uh, you know, that have been imposing them for a long time. That's what he, unfair trade. People say, well, what's unfair trade? Well, he's telling you, and he's educating you along the way. And because we've been getting screwed all these years, and these other countries have been benefiting, yeah, now they're upset because you got somebody who is uh, willing to do something about it. And I don't know how the story ends. I prefer free trade, but free trade kind of goes both ways, right? And here's something else they hadn't been told about the whole trade situation. So you know that we got the tariffs that have gone on, steel and aluminum, with Canada and with Mexico but and with the EU. But here's what you probably hadn't heard anywhere. In fact, I wouldn't know unless I'd read the executive orders myself. Did you know that we actually worked out aluminum and steel deals with Argentina and with Australia? How about Brazil? Now, again, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, eh, 
not the biggest deal with aluminum and steel. Certainly the EU, Canada, Mexico, yes, bigger deal. But the point is, it already has worked. His tactics have already worked with Australia, Argentina, and Brazil. Nobody talks about it. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so we will uh, talk a bit more about some of the festivities going on with the G7. But uh, the first half hour of the show, kind of walking you through the violence in our schools. And the connection with suicides. The connection with the Department of Education and how education outcomes have gone steadily downhill. But also, the lack of morality, starting in the classroom, more generally in our society, and how there seems to be a connection, at least in timeline, there's definitely a connection. That's beyond dispute. And all of these things come together, resulting in a proliferation of suicide, resulting in a proliferation of violence in our schools. And people that want to talk about gun control and people that want to talk about controlling the evil by other means, rather than actually going, hey, you know what? We got some some real issues in our society. We got some people that are doing some really bad things that didn't used to react this way, given the, the same similar circumstances. So what has changed in our society? If we actually want to fix a problem, you got to get to the bottom of it, right? This is the bottom of it. What's changed? And uh, first up, we got Mr. Davis from Jersey City. Go. Hey, good, good afternoon, Mr. Mudd. How you doing, sir? How's everything? Yeah, doing very well. Appreciate you uh, taking the time. So you have uh, some experience in the schools. Well, definitely. You know, I've been in a business of education for about 20 years now, but um, specifically in the area of, of discipline and um, behavior, um, in the public school system for about 12 to 15 years. So, you know, when you talk about um, morals and, and, and the lack of spirituality, especially in the public school and in schools in general, I kind of agree with you there, you know, because I've seen, you know, coming up being a, 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 a student within the Board of Education myself, you know, from the 80s, of course, you know, you saw how, you know, they took away prayer out of schools. You couldn't pray and things of that nature specifically, you know. But um, I think that there is definitely a gap, a spiritual gap. And now with the advent of social media and the Internet, a physical or, or emotional gap has been created as well. That's a good point. I mean, you, you take a look at what is different in our society. That's something that is different in our society. And uh, thanks for sharing your perspective from the inside. And uh, let's go to Chris in Eureka, California. Chris, go. Hey, uh, I was raised by two very professional school teachers in the state of California. Um, My father told me when I was a small boy in the 70s, well, our teenager, that he was being pressured real hard to get out of teaching. And he was being pressured real hard because he told me that the liberals were taking over. And he says, what they're doing is, is that they're trying to take over the public school system so they can take over my political party. My father was a conservative Democrat. And he said, the way, and he said, the way they're going to do it is they're going to stop teaching kids how to think. And they're going to start teaching them what to think. And along with that whole thing is all that negative garbage that these poor kids are fed in the public school system about the fact that you can't cut it, the man's going to keep you down, you know, just all this real negative stuff. And, you know, my experience this day and age, like I said, I was raised back in the 60s and the 70s, and the public school system was stellar. They were great teachers, and I... 
I just can't say enough about them. And I watched it deteriorate because my parents' worst teachers. And I, they used to tell me all the time, you know, what was coming. And I'll tell you, they were extremely bright because everything that they've taught me as a child about the public school system has come to fruition. Well, I, uh, I appreciate the perspective, and you're right. I mean, there was a roadmap, and it's been executed, and, and here we are. And imagine that. We have problems now. And the question is, what do we do about them? Well, all they want to do, try to control the problems. Well, that seems like uh, a really bad idea. And, and by the way, it doesn't seem like it's working. By the way, uh, gold star there, Chris. There's actually something that uh, I do uh, for my local shows about protecting our police. Because you mentioned something that is related to other ailments in our society. It's different but related. Talking about the the difference in terms of having respect and authority. It isn't just the lack of, of respect by many young people and by certain folks in society based upon the lack of values that is taking place in our schools. It's taking place with our police all across the country, right? So one of the things I do, and I've done this ever since Colin Kaepernick and his merry band of ignorant ingrates ended up fanning the flames of Black Lives Matter, and we continue to see more and more violence towards cops. I started doing a segment each week that highlighted the sacrifices that are made by those hundreds of thousands of people that put on the badge every day and go work. And you have one negative cop story. It's national news, right? We had the dust up in Arizona earlier this week. Looks like that might have been a bad deal. Some cops that were bad actors get the final findings. But that was blown up. National news, right? How many hundreds of thousands of cops this week, every day, got up, went to work, keep us safe? So we're sitting here doing what we're doing right now. Where are the stories of the heroes? And oh, by the way, where are the stories of the sacrificed? So one of the things I do for perspective, last year, 2017, we lost 128 police officers in the line of duty. 128 last year. How many of those do you really hear about? And by the way, you you know how many of those are murdered? You got nearly 30% of the cops that died last year that are outright murdered. Why? Now, when I talk to folks in law enforcement, you don't have people that respect law enforcement the way they used to. Why? Well, take a look again at society, the lack of values. The lack of morality, the, the lack of right and wrong. We've had 66 police officers that have died in 2018. And here's something that you would think would be national news, maybe, because it pertains to 9-11. You know, we've had three first responders to in New York City to 9-11 that have died in the past two weeks. Here's a name that you probably have never heard before. His name, Trooper First Class Walter Green, 51-year-old trooper in Connecticut that was called onto the scene on 9-11. One of many folks that ended up obtaining an illness that he's battled for years. 51, he passed away this week due to illnesses from being a first responder 9-11. Okay. He was a Marine Before he was a trooper. From the time he was 18 years old, he served this country. Never done anything else. Never anything else. Went straight from school to serve in this country. First responder, 9-11. And you didn't hear word one, right? Same the other folks. Week in and week out. 66 that have been sacrificed this year. Help keep us safe. 
But it's all part of the perspective. And again, it's about what we don't value in our society. All right, let's go to Jim in Louisville, Kentucky. Go. Yes. Uh, back to, like you said, the morality. You know, they took the Ten Commandments out. The Ten Commandments are ten lessons to being a decent human being. If they don't want those in there, teach one lesson, one lesson only, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have do unto you, not do unto others and split. Uh, it's uh, a good point. And, he, and the point that kind of goes hand in hand with that is you don't even have to be a believer. You can be an atheist in the morality, the, the teachings, the value system there has merit. Society will ultimately be better for it. Exactly. If you were to follow that one golden rule, do unto others, if you followed that one, you would never, ever break any of the Ten Commandments, and you would lead life as a good and decent human being. I appreciate it, Jack. All right, let's go to uh, Tim, who is in L.A. Literally, may God bless you. Hey, Mud, how you doing? Hey, all good. Hey, so uh, I wanted to echo a point by one of your earlier callers, and that uh, technology and social media is, is something that really needs to be acknowledged here. Uh, when you get over-involved in that, it really promotes a sense of narcissism, and it builds up that wall and can really dehumanize people and i think those are two things that really need to happen in order to enable these type of occurrences to happen so i think that's a real important thing and that also feeds into what you're saying about the removal of god when you remove god you're going to replace him with something else yep and that's the thing that this generation has latched onto my generation has latched onto i consider myself a millennial and honestly this is our smoking if you will well, and to your point, to your point, I have combined the ideas of what's been going on in our schools, that violence, along with suicides. And what happens when you don't believe that there is something else out there, something that is bigger than oneself? One aspect of that is that you carry out evil and violence towards others. The other piece of that Say you take it out on yourself, right? 30% increase in suicides since 1999. I mean, that doesn't just happen. No, I don't think so either. All right. Well, keep finding the good fight theater in L.A. I know how hard it is. My wife used to live there and uh, got a sister-in-law over uh, in the uh, the O.C., so uh, understand. All right. uh, Coming up, got a couple things that I want to tee up for you, including, by the way, I want to remind you the Hall of Fame vote for the great one, Mark Levin. Do what I've done. Uh, You can go to MarkLevinShow.com, by the way, and check that out and uh, go ahead and vote. It's right there on the homepage. It's you. It's listeners that will determine whether or not the great one ends up in the Radio Hall of Fame. So go there. Do it. Vote. I'm Brian Mudd. And for the great one. Mark Levin. who for the past 29 years has been the Senate Intelligence Committee's security director, had tens of thousands of communications with at least three different reporters. I think the most troubling allegation is that on the day he received classified information about Carter Page, obviously a central figure in the Trump-Russia collusion investigation and potential FISA abuse uh, matter, 
He had 82 text message communications with one reporter uh, in particular. Well, that's kind of a big deal. One of the things that's kind of cool about just he- hearing Representative John Ratcliffe, who's been involved in the committee investigating Mr. Wolf, among others, in the Obama years and administration, is how cool he is and saying, yeah, you know, uh, here's what we found. Uh, he abused uh, access to information, and three different reporters ended up getting that information. I mean, this is like, holy crap kind of information right here. And he's just very matter-of-fact about it. And he also ended up speaking today about and Hillary Clinton and, you know, some of what she did with her server. Y- you know how you have been thinking that justice is not going to be served here, that for all the leaks— for everything that happened with with Lynch, with Comey, heck, maybe even with Mueller going all the way back to Uranium One. Everything that happened within the, the Justice Department, the FBI, all of the stuff that stinks, that's been out there in plain sight, that you know is wrong, that they're going to get away with it. All of them. Is it possible? Is it possible that this is the domino? It might be possible that this is the domino. James Wolf, big deal. Former security chief for the Senate Intel Committee goes down to indictment. I mean, this is significant. It leads to three different reporters. I mean, what if this is the start of something really big? It's possible that justice might end up being served after all. All right. Throughout the course of this hour, we've been talking about the proliferation of violence in our schools, the suicide that's been taking place and some of the connection with the lack of morality that started with the Department of Education really uh, coming into play into the 80s. And uh, let's go to Sue oh, right here in uh, my neck of the woods. Uh, Sue in Boca Raton. Go. Uh, yes. Um, I uh, just wanted to say that I'm, I'm in total agreement that, uh, but you know, in 1962 and 63, when they took out prayer and Bible out of the school, that is when our country started to go down downhill. And um, so that point I wanted to be made. But the other point is, um, is uh, you know, obviously this social media to me, it's like it's it's really the parent. Who's the parent today? You know, my son. Uh, I'm the parent. I pay for the phone. I pay for everything. And he's not allowed to be on. Now, my son is older now. But at the time, um, you know, I think we need to learn, start to take control of what our kids are doing. And that's the problem. And we're allowing the kids to get away with things they should never get away with. And parents need to start to step up and start teaching respect manners when the uh when the flag goes by you put your hand on your heart when an elderly person you know walks in the door you open you know you stand up you op- we've lost that whole art of of respecting uh, our elders respecting when somebody gives you something you say thank you you're welcome just the little simple things like that that we've lost your your lips to god's here sue thank you and i'm sure you got a good son there yes i actually held a, a door for a young woman last week and she was offended. She was like, no, don't hold that for me. I've got it. I'm like, seriously? Hey, uh, set your DVR, by the way, for Life, Liberty, and Levin Fox News this Sunday at 10. It's got Ron DeSantis and Lee Zedlin. I'm Brian Mudd in for the great one. He's here. He's here. Now, bro.
Broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. never want anybody to be above the law, but the pardons are a very positive thing for a president. I think you see the way I'm using them. And yes, I do have an absolute right to pardon myself, but I'll never have to do it because I didn't do anything wrong. And everybody knows it. There's been no collusion. There's been no obstruction. It's all a made up fantasy. It's a witch hunt. No collusion, no obstruction, no nothing. Now, the Democrats have had massive collusion, massive obstruction and they should be investigated we'll see what's happening well speaking of massive nonsense here's the massive nonsense for you gun violence gun violence i've still been waiting and, and trying to figure out how an inanimate object can do something how it gets violent you know we uh, my wife and i were gun owners and you know, our, our guns, they, they sit there and you know, we, we wait for them to do that because you hear about gun violence and, and you hear about, you know, how dangerous they are. And we look at them and they, 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 oh, maybe we just have really well-behaved guns because they have yet to go off on their own. It's a fascinating thing. Hey, I, uh, I'm Brian Mudd in for the great one tonight, and I am not in an underground bunker. In fact, if I try to do that, I get wet very quick, barely above sea level. In West Palm Beach, Florida, I do a morning show on WJNO in West Palm Beach in a mid-morning show on WIOD in Miami. And it is always an honor and a pleasure to be in for the great one here with you. Now, in the first hour, talked about a lot of the ills in our society from a point of morality. Specifically, how you could trace it back, the timeline, to the creation of the Department of Education which not only has put us on a 38-year losing streak in education, where the United States went from number two in world outcomes in education, number two only to the Aussies, to 17th and falling. And yet we persist. And they say, oh, but we just need more money. If only we had more money. But the other biggie, the other biggie is we're talking about the ills in society, morality, because the Department of Education Worse than what they've done in in terms of not educating our kids? Well, it it has been the removal of values from the classroom. Removal of God. And you take a look at that more generally throughout the course of our society. What's happened? Well, you've got a proliferation of violence. Proliferation of suicide. CDC saying suicide's up 30% since 99. Maybe coincidentally, when Columbine happened, they kicked off this whole era. Okay, so... We talked about all that last hour. Switch gears slightly. Different but related. Talk about gun control. Now, I'm here in South Florida. And you probably are familiar with a community by the name of Parkland. Now, you know the name. There's a good chance, unless you are in South Florida, you don't know where it is. It is suburban Fort Lauderdale. It's suburban Fort Lauderdale, way west. Very nice community, by the way. But that's where it is. And the reason why people know it, of course, is the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas on Valentine's Day. And 
the whole school year, the, the rest of the way, I mean, it's been rough. And by the way, we had Irma down here, and most of us were without power. We were without power for five days at our house, and, and a lot of the schools were out for you know, a week to two weeks. It was, it was a mess. So that happened during the course of the school year, and then you ended up adding in the shooting at Stoneman Douglas. And the last couple of months, it's kind of been like, you know how near the end of a baseball season, you got a really big game. And going into that game, I mean, you're jacked up because you're, you're pulling for your team. It, 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 you know, it matters. You're getting down to crunch time. And then that game goes to extras. And the 10th goes by, the 11th goes by, the 12th goes by. And you get to that point to where you're exhausted, you're fatigued. Both teams have run dry on their benches. And at that point, even though the game, the outcome, means every bit as much as it did when you were jacked up in the first, you just kind of want to tan. It's like, okay, that's exactly what the school year's been like down here. Everybody's exhausted. It ended this week. Uh, And it's one of these things to where it's just like, well, thank God that's done. But something that happened in the wake of it was gun control. While we haven't had comprehensive gun control at the federal level, the president has taken executive action on bump stocks. And while they aren't officially banned yet, they're like still, I think, technically under the 180-day review to be eliminated. The uh, big maker of them is already bankrupt, so it's pretty much a moot point at this point. That's the only thing that really has happened at this point. Bump stocks are pretty much a no-go anymore in this country. But we actually, in Florida, and by the way, as purple as we are when it comes to presidential politics, we're quite red uh, when you get down to state politics. We have solid majorities of Republicans in the state house on both sides, and we have our Republican governor, Rick Scott. And in this purple state that is right-leaning and very liberal South Florida, the momentum inside of a week after the shooting of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas led to comprehensive gun control being passed. And in this state... We ended up passing uh, the age of 21 to purchase any type of gun. We ended up passing many mental health provisions. Now, among those uh, mental health provisions, if there is someone who is diagnosed or suspected to have mental health issues, there's now a provision in our state law where law enforcement can go and detain the guns of that individual. And a judge decides whether or not they get them back. Or when they get them back. That's one of the new changes here now. Among many other things. And my point is how quickly things can develop and how quickly things can happen. And some of the reforms, by the way, I agree with. As a gun owner, I do think there has been room for you know some sensible uh, reforms on policy. But that's not really here nor there. Back to the whole gun violence thing. One of the, the things I've been promising a lot of folks down here for a long time... So we talk more about what's real and what isn't. That, ironically enough, gun owners happen to be more lawful than non-gun owners. It's a fascinating thing, uh, the, the undertold story. And I have been singing this tale for years. But there actually was a really well done piece by The Federalist recently. Which, by the way, for my money, The Federalist does as good of work uh, on the journalistic side day in and day out as anybody anymore. But the headline, I think it's like two weeks ago, guns don't kill people, but gun bans do. Here's an excerpt from the story. It's far more common for Americans to use guns to defend themselves or others against violence than to use guns to commit violence. Huh. 
It's far more common for Americans to use guns to defend themselves or others against violence than to use guns to commit violence. And Justin Haskins, the author of it, as do those lives matter. And he cites this information according to data from the Department of Justice from 2007 through 2011. There were 235,700 victimizations where the victim used a firearm to threaten or attack an offender. 235,700. That's pretty incredible, right? In another 103,000 instances, people used a firearm to defend their property against an offender. That means over a five-year period, there were more than 338,000 instances in which many people defended themselves with a firearm. About 67,000 instances per year. How many of those do you hear about in the news? Many researchers believe those figures are too low. A far-reaching survey conducted in the 1990s by Florida State University found that there are 2.1 to 2.5 million defensive gun uses annually. And by the way, as an aside, it's not in this article, but the Clinton administration a few years before that actually found that there were at least one and a half million instances per year. I mean, think about how many thousands you're talking about per day that you never hear about. But that's not all. There was a separate study that's been done in recent years, specifically of concealed carry permitted holders. And what it found is that in terms of those who own and carry versus non-gun owners, Gun owners are 50% less likely to commit any kind of crime. 50% less likely to commit any kind of crime. And then you take a look at the actual statistics for the amount of defensive action that saves them, saves others, saves a situation. And we talk about gun violence, which is stupid in its construction because by definition, it cannot do that. A gun cannot be violent. It is an inanimate object. But that's not the only thing. I mentioned the situation here in Florida. This was fascinating, and this hit last week. Florida's crime rate hit a 47-year low as concealed carry permits hit record highs. Shut the front door. Now, remember, I just told you on back of what happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, we passed comprehensive gun control here in Florida. However, we found out that we have had a 47-year low while we have more people that own guns in our state than ever before. In fact, get this. There are 1,999 new guns in Florida on average per day. Per day in this state. Now, we have over 20 million folks. I mean, it's a big state. But wouldn't that mean by definition, if there is gun violence, if that is a thing, if guns make people violent even, maybe that's what happens. If we had nearly 2,000 guns coming into our uh, state every day, wouldn't that necessarily mean that there would be more crime and more violence every single day in our state? I mean, yours too, potentially. I'm just citing the stats because they just came out here in Florida last week. I mean... Somewhere along the way, that should be discussed. That should be accounted for. I mean, we're we're intelligent thinking people, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Crickets on that one as well, right? 
sure this is the first time you've heard it, even for folks in Florida. Unless you've listened to me over the past couple of weeks down here, eh, first time you've heard it as well. I'd guarantee it. It doesn't get reported. The, the most pervasive form of bias, this is true especially in media, but it's definitely true in schools, which we've been talking about as well. It's omission. It's omission. Yeah, there's a lot of bias in media. Yeah, there's a lot of bias in education. But what you're presented with, in many cases, you can diagnose it. If you're presented with something, you at least can analyze it. If you're never told something, well, isn't that a much more effective form of bias? And that's what's going on. And we're going to pick up on guns leading to safer communities next. I'm Brian Mudd. And for the great one, Mark Lovin. He's not very popular then. He certainly, his memory is very popular now. I'm thinking about Muhammad Ali. I'm thinking about that very seriously. And some others. And some folks that have sentences that aren't there. But I am thinking about Muhammad Ali. And that wasn't even the most interesting idea that came up today. Speaking of pardons, as the uh, president was uh, doing a little presser as he's getting ready to board Air Force Way One on his way to the G7 in Toronto. And uh, about that, the more interesting one, you thought Kim Kardashian meeting with the president and the Oval Office was interesting. What if the next time around it was Colin Kaepernick? Say what? You're like, hold on. I thought Kaepernick is like trying to subpoena the president right now as part of his whole collusion. Like, yeah, he is. We'll talk about that more coming up next hour, by the way. But uh, uh, but yeah, the president indicated, hey, you know what? I- I'll listen to these guys. You're protesting the NFL. You should be standing for the anthem, but I'll listen to you guys. If you have uh, folks that you know or that you know of that are, you know, like legitimate uh, victims here of, of the system, that's what you're protesting, I'll listen to you. So that was kind of like a, a shut the front door kind of moment there. Holy cow. Okay, so uh, last segment telling you about gun safety. We hear about the gun violence, which by definition doesn't make sense. It's not possible. But nevertheless, the uh, lack of any kind of intellectualism in that term notwithstanding I mentioned that in Florida in particular, and I cited this because, well, we just ended up hitting a 47-year low in crime. 47-year low crime in this state. Ironically enough, having recently passed gun control, these stats predate what we just did in gun control in the state in the wake of the shooting at Stoneman Douglas in Parkland, Florida. But the other piece of the story here, We didn't just get to a 47-year low in crime in Florida overnight. Every single year from 2008 through 2017, according to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, every single year, there was a decline in crime. Now, think about that for a moment, because what do you hear? Well, hold on. We were in the recession during that time. Yeah, that's right. Crime always goes up in a recession, right? Always goes up. But it didn't, it went down in Florida? Yeah, crime went down in Florida during the recession. And it kept going down every single year. It still is going down. And you go, hold on. Wow, how'd that happen? Oh, here's something for you. 
Mention that 1,999 additional guns are entering Florida every single day. Get this. Among concealed carry holders, you know how many uh, permits took effect during that 10-year window of time? 256% increase. There are 256% more concealed carry holders in our state than there were when crime was still on the rise. And every single year, including the recession, it went down. And now that might be one of those things that makes you go, hmm. Because you put it together with the other information. The stats that I share that illustrate, according to a study of Florida State University, 2.1 to 2.5 million defensive uses of, of guns annually. You take a look at the other research that indicated that the average concealed carry permit holder is 50% less likely to commit any type of a crime. And all of a sudden, you got something. You got something that might make you think that, wow, wow, maybe guns aren't violent after all. Maybe the problem is actually with people. And maybe the people that legally own guns, well... Huh, maybe they're good people that will do good things with the guns. And crazy, right? We got more on the other side. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. The Mark Levin Show, live and national. At 877-381-3811. You know, Schumer is a guy, he complains, but he doesn't do anything. Schumer's a guy who is an obstructor. He can't do anything. All he can do is obstruct. All they have to do is call us and we'll draw a bill that gives us great border safety and security and is fair. Because I don't like the children being separated from the parents. I don't like it. I hate it. But that's a Democrat bill that we're enforcing. We can change it in one day. All they have to do is come and see us. All right, one day can happen. All right, so of course, immigration's been back on the table this week. Over under, anything happens there. I don't think anybody's holding their breath, but there are a couple things that are relevant about that particular topic. And if I'm doing my job, I am giving you information that you've not heard before. It's my little one little place in the world. And this is one of them. On the immigration topic. Okay, so if we have fewer refugees coming in and we have fewer illegal immigrants coming in, what happens in this country? We re- we, do we think about that? The implication. Now, if we are going to automatically assume that everything works out as well as could be expected, in other words, even as far as the illegal immigrants, other than the fact that they're federal criminals for being here, they're law-abiding once they get here. I mean, that whole thing. I, I talk about the premise of the premise of anything is false and anything built on that probably is too. So I'm embracing a false premise uh, by saying that uh, you have law-abiding illegal immigrants. But that notwithstanding, let's say that they do end up becoming productive members of society illegally. What are they doing when they're working, right? Mm, okay. Refugees. Refugees. If we have fewer of them that we're bringing into this country, what does that mean? Well, it probably means that uh, they're not going to end up using a lot of work, too, including entry-level work, by the way. One of those things that makes you go, hmm. So I'm going to 
Stick that out there is a little bit of a tease. And uh, in just a few moments, I will bring that home, the information to tie this all together about how our great jobs economy in a lot of the folks that have been long-term unemployed and underemployed, them going back to work, the untold story, the undertold story about how it can be traced directly back, at least in strong part, to the Trump administration bringing in fewer refugees and stopping more illegal immigrants from entering this country. But uh, first, let's go to, uh, we've been talking about morality, we've been talking about uh, guns in society and how they actually, if you look at the stats, and can be in truth, uh, lead to safer societies. But uh, Jack wanted to weigh in. Jack, in Detroit, go. Yeah, uh, my with regard to suicide, um, it seems to me, I suspect that the lion's share, if not the totality of that 30% increase, is in fact due to citizens that grew up during these cultural and institutional changes. But it seems at least theoretically possible that some of that could be baby boomers or older who medical technology has permitted to stay alive whereas stroke or heart disease or cancer would have taken them. And although that might be morally objectionable to most, still it wouldn't be as tightly tied to the sort of atheism and nihilism that's been shooting through our society. Okay. It's an interesting thought. And uh, this is my honest moment with you. I'm working on digging through that report. I was going to uh, do a a follow-up for my shows locally on Monday, and I haven't had a chance to get that deep into it to see if at that granular uh, granular level that, uh, you know, maybe there is more to that particular story that you're talking about there uh, to where it's not necessarily people that are uh, looking to, to off themselves due to the typical depression or the lack of morality that otherwise is being discussed. So uh, interesting, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely do a follow-up on that, which, by the way, if you want my uh, information and my content, my analysis, I put all my content every day. You can find it at WJNO.com. It's Brian Mudd, WJNO.com. You'll, you'll find my stuff, and I will be doing that follow-up on Monday. Let's go to Bruce and Grand Rapids. Go. Hey, how you doing? Hey, all good. Good. You got a new fan. I appreciate it. Yeah. A couple things. Uh, first of all, the morality issue. I think you look back at this, and I think when we stopped um, really caring about children and saying it's okay to abort them, I think we lost all respect for any kind of human life. And I think if we, didn't, if we can't respect the children, how are the children going to respect adults? I'm not going to argue the point with you. I'm not going to be the person that's that's going to travel down that particular path. And this is something in particular that becomes complicated because the moment you bring up the A word, it's arguably more difficult to to get through to to anybody than the G word because we tend to be very closed off. We have very set opinions about these particular topics. And most people are not willing to attain more information. Now, one of the things I will tell you about being at least a part-time Catholic and part-time evangelistic is that in my own life, I'm pro-life. From a point of governance, I am more libertarian-minded when it comes to social issues. Uh, So I'm not necessarily of the the mindset uh, that we should be putting the government in the crosshairs of these particular issues. But I agree with you from a a point of morality. And what's happened over the course of time, and and I believe this is true as well, for example, with 
various different institutions, including marriage, for example. Well, if we don't see any value in them, and then we give government control over them, what ultimately happens? Well, anything that might have been moral or decent or you know, just maybe put you in a more constructive frame, it's been taken away. The idea that government has anything to do with marriage is absurd, right? I mean, if you're a faith-based person especially because, well, you know, it's supposed to be a bond with you and God. So we have blurred those lines so many ways over that it it has, I, I think, created morality issues and conflicts of interest with things like abortion. And so people that believe, well, you know, I at least believe in, in choice in some circumstances, if not outright pro-choice. Well, now we have made that difficult, and people might not instill those values into their kids, even if otherwise they might be morally uh, maybe upstanding individuals themselves. So interesting conversation. And uh, let's go to Courtney in Phoenix. Courtney, go. Hey, appreciate you taking my call. Um, I'd like to tie all of this together with the implementation of the fear of evolution into public schools. Um, once you took the personal God out of society, um, say three generations ago, you've got a series of grandparents, you've got a, uh, a group of parents, you've got a group of children who are fixing to have children who have been taught that you're random, you're not uh, created in the image of God, you don't uh, have a uniqueness to you, and therefore you devalue humanity. You don't fear death anymore. You don't have, if you, if you then get to the point where you don't have anything to live for, then there's really no point in, in death either. So a person can kill themselves, say with uh, Bourdain today, Kate Spade, the school shooters. You know, they all have this devalue of themselves, and they don't value others because they don't see that God values them. So it, it goes back to a randomness. You know, you're taught this, this theory in school. And it, it, it doesn't hold up in the uh, in the end in, a, yeah. in an eschatological manner. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you, you just took me down a trip through memory lane. It was a physical science class in school. And I remember on the test, multiple choice tests during elements pertaining to evolution. And there wasn't an option for intelligent design. In other words, you had to bring the right answer was simply going to be evolution and evolution alone. And by the way, I do believe in tenets of evolution, but there was no element for anything else. And I rejected the premise. I was that kid even. I've always been that person. And and so I ended up pushing back on the teacher. And she eventually backed down. Not happy, but she did eventually back down. Now, a couple things about that. And in... I'm not going to travel too far down the evolutionary path, but this is the one question I always throw out there you know, for folks who simply want to say evolution and nothing else. Okay, cool. Okay, I'll walk you back. Let's say that, you know, Big Bang and single-cell organisms. Great. What, what happened to create the Big Bang and the single-cell thing that we derive from? Figure that one out for me and, and tell me, you know, and, and we'll have a different conversation. The truth is, we all have faith in something, right? We all have faith in something. Even atheists have faith that there is nothing because they can't prove it. No different, right? But, again, you could be an atheist 
and the morals and values that are implicit in, in faith, well, they are good for society. So a little food for thought there. Now, the refugee story, the illegal immigrant story that I was teasing. Here's the deal. We just had the lowest unemployment rate in just over 18 years, but also we had the lowest real unemployment rate in 17 years. Now, if you're an economic dork, uh, then you're familiar with the U6. But in reality, what is that? Well, you have the folks that are the forgotten folks, the folks that are long-term unemployed. So they don't collect unemployment benefits anymore, but they're still unemployed and they still want work. Okay, they go into that bucket. Then you take a look at the folks that are what are called marginally attached to the workforce. Typically, you're people that are working odd jobs. They're not on unemployment, but they're working odd jobs, trying to make ends meet, and want regular employment. And then the underemployed folks, your, your folks that are working part-time that want full-time employment. Now, the real unemployment rate, or that U6 number, is literally double, literally double the 3.8% number that you hear. Okay, fine. But what does any of this mean? Here's the deal. We just hit the lowest rate in real unemployment in 17 years at the same time as the lowest overall unemployment rate in 18 years. The refugees and the illegal immigrants. Let me walk you back. Last year, the United States admitted 29,022 refugees. That was down from 94,837 the year before. It was the fewest refugees we've taken into the United States since 2001. Okay, so we're talking about, yeah, just under 70,000 fewer refugees. Okay, that's one piece of the conversation here. Now let's talk about illegal immigration. As we are waiting for the wall, what else is happening? Well, according to the Border Patrol, they said we have been averaging 800,000 illegal immigrants entering the United States per year. 800,000, okay? Now, what happened last year? Well, Border Patrol, ramping up their efforts, stopped 38,000 on average per month from entering the United States. You think about that for a moment. 38,000, now we're talking about numbers well in excess of 400,000 over the past year. At the same time that we've got about 65,000 plus fewer refugees coming into the United States. And guess what? All those folks, the long-term unemployed, the marginally attached, the underemployed, that had been sitting there, not being counted in the unemployment numbers previously, that number started shooting way down. Now, what kinds of jobs are the folks that are refugees that are coming in here going to occupy? And if we have illegal immigrants, and they're otherwise law-abiding once they get here, what are they going to be doing? Well, they're going to be occupying work that... Probably folks that are already the most in need of work would be occupying. So we suddenly see an increase of over 800,000 fewer people that are in that category of the marginally attached, the underemployed, and the long-term unemployed. Now, that could just be a coincidence too, right? So there's another connection that you can draw between these two. It's not just that combating illegal immigration is the right thing to do because we are either a country with borders, a country of laws, or we're not at a certain level. And I've never understood why we import as many refugees as we do 
when we have approximately 18% of Americans living below the poverty level? Wouldn't it make sense to try to get them out of poverty before bringing in all kinds of other people into this country to live in poverty and on government assistance for an average of five years, which is what happens with the average refugee? They end up on government assistance for five years. But we also help the people that need it most here. So it's all a big part of the story. And we'll continue that conversation coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, and for The Great One. Mark Lovin. We are talking about something unprecedented if, in fact, uh, as is being reported, that the inspector general finds fault, potential misconduct, with the former Attorney General of the United States, former FBI Director, and former Assistant uh, FBI Director. Representative John Ratcliffe, with some well moments today as he's been part of the House investigation, here we end up getting the indictment that goes down of James Wolfe, who had been in Senate intelligence for like 29 years. And then you end up hearing, and by the way, here are the things we're working on with like the entire Obama team. And that, that would be like unprecedented, kind of a big deal. And just so cool, calm, and collected. And I will say again, if you've been sitting on the sidelines this whole time, just frustrated day in and day out, that they're getting away with it. The Lakers are getting away with it. The deep state, they're getting away with it. What could it be that the dominoes are about to fall. It's a big deal what happened with the indictment of James Wolf. It's a big deal what Representative John Ratcliffe is talking about right there. So stand by. I mean, I know nothing, by the way. I'm observing this happen as you're hearing about it happen. But it, it's happening. We'll see how far this goes. But uh, cautious optimism is definitely, definitely in order. Now, just talking about the connection between... Fewer refugees being taken into the United States, fewest since 2001. A dramatic crackdown on illegal immigration at the border, resulting in ultimately the biggest increase in long-term unemployment and the underemployed, the marginally attached, all those folks that have been sitting there, the forgotten people in this employment picture, we've seen the biggest one-year increase in well over a decade. And now, the, that whole U6 unemployment rate, lowest level in 17 years. It's not just that the real unemployment rate is, or the uh, actual unemployment rate, the base rate, is the lowest in 18 years. Now, you always hear that there are jobs that people don't want to do. It's always been bull, right? Let's talk about oranges. How many Americans are going to line up for 5 bucks an hour to pick an orange? But if it were $30 an hour, think there are some folks that go out there and pick some oranges? Point is... That there is a price. There always has been. And the market helps determine it. Here's the next piece of the story that drives it home. Part of the reason we've been seeing wages go up. Because we're seeing people being paid more in those entry-level jobs. Under 1% of people now make minimum wage. And we got a lot more to that story as well. Coming up, we're going to talk about... Colin Kaepernick, the merry band of ignorant ingrates. That's next. Spray Mud in for the great one.
Blasting them from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I'm going to ask all of those people to recommend to me, because that's what they're protesting, people that they think were unfairly treated by the justice system. And I understand that. And I'm going to ask them to recommend to me people that were unfairly treated, friends of theirs or people that they know about. And I'm going to take a look at those applications. And if I find and my committee finds that they're unfairly treated, then we will pardon them or at least let them out. Who saw that one coming? Holy cow. I mean, he had all kinds of material out there when he was getting ready to head to uh, the G7 earlier today. Could you imagine, could you imagine Colin Kaepernick in the Oval Office talking justice with Donald Trump? I mean, that's the conversation we're having now. He's saying, hey, I'll listen to him. The reason they're protesting these NFL players, it's about injustice. And I'll take a listen. Rather than sitting there and, and talking and talking about it and whatever else and you know the protesting the I'll, I'll hear what you have to say. You know people. I'll you know bring them to me. Let's see. And as we know, credibility on this after Kim Kardashian, right? And what she ended up pulling off. So a couple of things. One, he's kind of called their bluff. Kind of called their bluff. Here you have Colin Kaepernick and his Merry band of, of ignorant ingrates that are trying to sue the uh, league, the owners, and the president himself for collusion against Kaepernick. Now, never mind the fact that, hey, he was a backup quarterback, and uh, that's when he decided that uh, suddenly he's going to be the social justice warrior. It's funny when he was the starting quarterback that social justice wasn't that big of an issue. But nevertheless, the, the whole collusion thing, well, the president said, okay, well, Colin, come on down. And all the other guys, you know, it's like three quarters of the Seahawks team. Call on now. Who do you got? I'll listen. Think about this for a moment. And I guess it, maybe it's a byproduct of our president having the background in entertainment that he does. But think for a moment about what Colin Kaepernick, Roseanne Barr, uh, Dennis Rodman, Kim Kardashian, Kanye West. How about Samantha B? What did they all have in common? Something in the news about Donald Trump. Fascinating, isn't it? Fascinating how we ended up getting from wherever their story started to here. (laughs) We really haven't seen anything else like this. And you never know. You never know what's next. Now, one of the things, one of the things about Donald Trump, you know how he'll start talking. And every now and then. He'll say something. He's making a lot of sense. He's making a lot of sense. He's making a lot of sense. And he keeps talking. And then you go, oh, what? What did he just say? And he seems like he goes off the rails. It always seems like he takes something a little too far, right? But then, every now and then, it, it comes true. Take this, for example. As recently as Monday, the president tweeted this. In many ways, this is the greatest economy in the history of America and the best time ever to look for a job. Okay. Now, due to the president's, uh, you know, tendencies to seemingly take things a little too far, might have sounded that way, right? However, 
Not so. Not so. In fact, when you dig down a little further, what we end up saying is that, well, shoot, we do end up having the best jobs economy ever for folks that are looking for a job. For the first time in the history of this country, the Bureau of Labor Statistics said that there are actually more job openings than people looking for work. 6.7 million current job openings, 6.4 million unemployed Americans. Now, remember when he was saying, hey, my wires are tapped. Trump Tower, my wires are tapped. Well, the media has been a couple of months up one side, down the other on him, right? And what did we find out? Oh, yeah, Trump Tower. Carter Page, wires are tapped. Huh. Time and again, we continue to see that some of what he says that seems to go a little too far ends up being just right in the end. The idea of Kim Kardashian going to the Oval Office to talk to the president about a pardon. We find out about Alice Johnson. Seems like a pretty great woman who's turned her life around, right? Just right. You have this entire NFL fiasco that's played out for two years. Now, who's lost this deal? The NFL has 20% fewer viewers than they did two years ago. Now, any other business would be in absolute crisis mode if they lost 20% of their customers in two years. But the NFL, no. They gave Roger Goodell more money, and they just carried on about their business. And here we are, and we're talking about everything still but actual football as it pertains to the NFL. And just earlier this week, Oh, the president overplayed his hand. You had a lot of the usual suspects on the right, too, that are just waiting in the wings for the opportunity to say, oh, you know, that Trump, yeah, he uh, he really blew it this time. Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, they weren't even one of the teams out there protesting, kneeling. I mean, they were protesting because they were, like, doing the fist thing. But nevertheless. So, just as you got folks... Certainly on the left, and some of the usual suspects on the right. Oh, yeah, the president blew it this time. What has he done? He's called the bluff of every single protesting NFL player. If you're just doing it because you're that guy, you're going to be exposed. And if you're actually serious, if you actually mean that there are real people out there that have had an injustice, you have your opportunity to make that case to the President of the United States, to free those individuals. Pretty incredible, right? It's fascinating how time and again it seems to come around this way. And by the way, as we're talking about the President, a couple things. Everybody is tracking the polls anymore because we are now more than halfway through the primary season, just several months away now from the actual Midterm elections themselves. And there are a couple things that people need to keep in perspective. We have a great deal of history, and we tend to be extremely, extremely predictable. And what I mean by that is we've never had a full-term Democrat succeeded by another Democrat except for Truman after FDR, and he inherited that seat. So here's what we have known historically. If you have a full-term Democrat president and the history of our two-party system, you're going to get a Republican. That was something that was discounted heavily in the 2016 election cycle. 
But it's not just in presidential election cycles that we are extremely cyclical. You take a look at the midterms. Okay. We have had 39 midterm elections in the history of the two-party system, as it sits, Democrats, Republicans. The average midterm election cycle, average, you get four Senate seats lost for the president's party and 30 seats in the House. That's the average. If just the average happened, Democrats would take back control of the Senate and the House. That's the norm. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so hang tight. Democrats only need two seats in the Senate, 24 in the House. So history, this is add-in for Democrats. But here's the deal. Donald Trump, the Republicans, including despite their, their best efforts to screw it up, talking to you, Paul Ryan, they're actually outperforming right now. Big time outperforming. Give you the lay of the land. How odd is it for the president's party to actually pick up seats? There's only been three times in history it's happened. 1934 during FDR's first term. Think New Deal here in Great Depression. 98 during Bill Clinton's second term. That was the repudiation of the impeachment effort. And 2002 during George W. Bush's first term, of course, after 9-11. Those are the only three times in the history of the two-party system that the president's party has gained net seats in Congress. In other words... Once again, we have a 92% number. The 92% probability that Democrats will gain congressional seats this year. The question then becomes how many. And here's the deal. A lot of people say, oh, that generic ballot stuff. You can't look at that. Well, you should. Because in the advent of polling, the generic ballot is like home field advantage. And generic ballot, whoever has had the advantage, whichever party on election day, has always performed the best. Okay, so... Is it the end-all, be-all? No. In fact, for the average election across the country, it's off by 3%. Obviously, the candidates in a given election matter. Obviously, the issues that involve those candidates in those elections matter. Those are about two-thirds of the equation. More important than the generic ballot, but certainly a temperature check nationally, it does matter. So don't ignore it. And what do we see over the course of this week? Well, we've seen that Democrats average by midweek only around a 3% lead. Right now, I think they're in the neighborhood of three to five points. Now, here's something to watch. The wave election that the Democrats are counting on, what do they need to have on the generic ballot historically to be in a position to take everything back, to have a potential wave? Anything in that 8% plus range, you get a wave. And Democrats in 2018 have had anywhere from a 3 to a 12% lead. So right now, they're near their smallest lead. As we're more than halfway through the primaries, and as we are heading really in focus towards these midterm elections. So here's the first thing to know. Even though Democrats have an advantage, it's already smaller. It's already smaller than the norm. And if the Democrats have anything in the 4% or under range in terms of an advantage on Election Day, odds are they will not regain control of the House, let alone the Senate. In fact, at a 3% number on the generic ballot, Democrats are only likely to pick up about 12 seats. The Republicans would probably pick up one seat in the Senate. So once again, you see the president's approval rating. People cherry pick polls. They talk about it. They say, oh, look at him, anti-Trump and everything else. And even when you take a look and you see a generic ballot out there and it shows the Democrats with an advantage, the president, once again, is right where he needs to be. 
outperforming. And by the way, if you take a look at highly engaged voters, they're far more likely to approve of the president. Over the past week, President Trump's average approval rating, just 40% with adult-only samples, 49% with likely voters. That is a big part of the rest of the story. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. I don't like that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say to them, instead of talk, it's all talk, talk, talk. We have a great country. You should stand for our national anthem. You shouldn't go in a locker room when our national anthem is played. I mean, seriously, step away from the emotion, the politics of it for a moment. I mean, how bad crap crazy are some people in this country that the national anthem became controversial? I mean, it's just... That, that is stuck on stupid. I just such nonsense. Uh, by, by the way, one of my uh, favorite headlines of the week. This from NBC News. Headline, the Philadelphia Eagles are now America's team. That was one of those where I, uh, I saw that. And I, like, all right. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Something about that seems exactly the opposite. Walk with me mentally for a moment. I'm just... I'm not suggesting that what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is the case. But let's say that I embrace the premise advanced by NBC News in this article. Philadelphia Eagles are America. So you have almost the entire team that rejects the president of the United States. Almost the entire team rejects the president. Now. If I'm going to embrace the, the premise that the Philadelphia Eagles, by their actions, uh, are the barometer in one way or another, wouldn't that actually make them, like, literally the anti-American team? <laughs> Just put it out there. I The irony was interesting. Speaking of ironic, one of the president's tweets as we were getting ready for the G7, he said, isn't it ironic getting ready to go to the G7 in Canada to fight for our country on trade? We have the worst trade deals ever made. Then off to Singapore to meet with North Korea and the nuclear problem. But back home, we still have the 13 angry Democrats pushing the witch hunt. Among other things that he ended up tweeting out, this one uh This was a literal laugh-out-loud moment for me yesterday. How could Jeff Flake, who is setting record-low polling numbers in Arizona and was therefore humiliatingly forced out of his own Senate seat without even a fight, think about running for office, even a lower one. Let's face it. He's a flake. Well done. And uh, this one is kind of a big deal. Our Justice Department must not let Awan and Debbie Wasserman Schultz off the hook. The Democrat IT scandal is a key to much of the corruption we see today. They want to make a plea deal to hide what's on their server. Where is the server really bad? And then we ended up having the wolf indictment. Huh. Things that make you go, hmm. Something else that ended up uh, being kind of cool. Despite all the wrangling over the G7, the meetings with Prime Minister Abe yesterday. Now, I mentioned earlier in the show something you haven't heard. 
which is, oh, by the way, we actually worked out and renegotiated trade deals with Australia, Argentina, and Brazil, pertaining to the aluminum and steel tariffs, not reported anywhere. But, yes, we still have some issues with the EU and with Canada, with Mexico. But uh, here's the thing. Going well with Japan, and who says that the president doesn't have the EU, doesn't have Canada, doesn't have Mexico right where he wants them? A lot of these other tweets ended up getting a lot of attention. But what he's really doing? Educating people. Like with this one. Canada charges the U.S. a 270% tariff on dairy products. They didn't tell you that, did they? Not fair to our farmers. That's kind of a big deal. So, hmm. Another one of those things that makes you go, hmm. And then, he said, looking forward to straightening out unfair trade deals with the G7 countries. If it doesn't happen, we'll come out even better. (laughs) Because one way or another, he always seems to end up right where he wants to be. It's fascinating to watch. By the way, said, I'm heading for Canada and the G7 for talks that will mostly center on the longtime unfair trade practice against the United States. From there, I go to Singapore and the talks with North Korea on denuclearization. Oh, by the way, I mean, there's a lot of big stuff going on, too, right? We'll continue the conversation coming up next. Spry Mud in for the great one, Mark Levin. Glovin, the most passionate conservative on radio. Talk with him now at 877-381-3811. I didn't invite LeBron James, and I didn't invite Steph Curry. We're not going to invite either team, uh, but we have other teams that are coming. You know, if you look, we had Alabama national champion. We had Clemson national champion. We had the New England Patriots. We have uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins last year. I think we'll have the caps. I mean, we'll see. You know my attitude? If they want to be here, it's the greatest place on earth. I'm here. If they don't want to be here, I don't want them. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I heard that. And I'm like, I was thinking the caps before he got there. I'm like, well, we just had a new champion. I wonder, I wonder. And he went there. And now, I mean, you know what's coming next. I mean, the, the question, it's liable to have been posed tonight uh, to the caps. I mean, what what happens there? Remember when we could actually watch sports and, like, we didn't have to talk about politics? Ah, simpler times. But anyway, will be interesting to see. Uh, but President Trump, you know, fascinating thing about him. For those that come across him, you notice how you always have people that will seemingly not like the guy and then... They interact with him, and it's a different day. Even if, even if they're not fans of him, you notice how it, it seems to go well. For example, we've got this whole feud right now with France, right? The the French French Emmanuel Macron, the croissant French French Macron. So he's out there, you know, like in, in this Twitter war with President Trump before the uh, G seven got underway, and we have a lot of tensions right now. And and he is kind of the leading voice in Europe right now. He was fresh off of that visit, obviously. The president now that long ago. Remember when he was here? It was like the bromance. You know, the media was like, "Oh, you see this? We actually think that he likes the guy." Is that just like photo ops? He actually seems like Trump. They seem to be getting along. Well, obviously, when it comes to policy, there's some strong differences still. But there is something that is fascinating 
about Donald Trump. And most of the encounters I've had over the course of time, I am in South Florida. I'm here in, in West Palm Beach. I'm Brian Mudd. I do a morning show, WJNO, West Palm Beach. Get all my content at WJNO.com, by the way. And I do a mid-morning show, WIOD in Miami. And by proximity, over the years, I had uh, several interactions with Donald Trump before he entered the political arena. And one of the, the encounters was, was fascinating. You know, my, my dad uh, you know, always told me that uh, you can judge impressive people by the way they treat people they don't have to treat on the level. And so I've, I've always remembered that, and I, I've used it when interacting with impressive people. And you'll hear, you notice how even like Donald Trump's ex-wives never talk badly about him? Isn't that fascinating? But his employees, too. His employees, too. In fact, you know, even during the election cycle, where you're hearing, oh, you know, Mar-a-Lago, all this foreign work. He would walk around, personally shake the hands of everybody at Mar-a-Lago. Would usually walk around, hand them money, too. I mean, genuinely nice guy. One of the things I noticed one time, Trump International West Palm, uh, when uh, I was doing lunch, this is well before all this, he's coming off the golf course. And... At that club, you got all the employees that immediately, you know, like, oh, Mr. Trump, we'll take your clubs, we'll take your hat. What? He's like, you know, I got this, I got this. And he puts his own stuff away. And then, you know, having lunch off in a little private room, and they're like, well, we can get you anything off the menu. There's a little buffet set up. You can get well, whatever you want, Mr. Trump. I'm sure this is fine. Helps himself to buffet, whatever else. And, you know, without getting into too much, it was fascinating to see during the course of lunch, He excused himself twice because he was getting calls and texts. And uh, he ended up coming back, and he had a a contract he had just signed with one of his resorts in Europe. I think it was a place in Spain. Anyway, you could just see how excited he was. He was the deal. He got the deal. And I didn't know anything about it, nor did uh, the other person I was with. But it's fascinating to see. And was there ego? Yeah. But he was a nice guy. And everybody he treated, he treated really well. Now, there are many other encounters you see in group settings, and it's kind of difficult to get a read on the guy. But it's it's fascinating because my own little way, I, I had you know experience to kind of see what's real and what isn't with this guy. And what you see is real when it comes to that personal interaction. He's got not only charisma, but whatever you think of him politically, there's a good person in there. You know, he just treats people on the level, whoever they happen to be. And it's one of the secrets uh, to his success in all of this. Let's go to a very patient Bob who has been hanging on the line talking about uh, what we've been talking about earlier in the show with morality, the lack thereof, and the outcome in today's society. Bob in Baltimore, go. Yeah, Brian, can you hear me okay? There's a hum on this phone. I regret it. Yeah, a little bit. If you'll go quick for us. Well, I wanted you were talking previously in the show about the problems in the schools, the education, and what you see as the resulting symptoms of that, which are uh, bullying, uh, suicides, which are associated with bullying, other influences causing this record high number of suicides. And uh, what I see all of this, especially the school shootings, all of this, Brian, has been 50 years in the making. Back in the 1960s, the Supreme Court, which I don't think 
I think unwisely, prohibited prayer in public school. Then in the 1970s, uh, late 60s actually, uh, and then into the 70s, there was the moral decay, the permissiveness. You know, you, you may have known of these things, if it feels good, do it, whatever turns you on. Uh, they started uh, questioning conventional morality with situation ethics and uh, moral relativism. Uh, and now in the schools, we've taken prayer out, and we've, we've inserted secularism. So what, what is left is the students then are uh, left with two things. One is sort of an adolescent tribalism, where they're all looking not towards something higher, but toward uh, their estimation and their esteem and, their, and their, their identity from one another, as teenagers do naturally. Uh, and they're not getting the development that they should in what is a Judeo-Christian-based tradition, but in, in moral relativism and secularism. It's it's a great point, and thank you. Uh, the uh, independent of the hum, uh, you're making a lot of sense, and it's a great point. Appreciate you hanging on and making that particular point. Let's go to Carol in Marble Hill. Where is Marble Hill? Uh, just 30 miles west of Cape Girardeau, Rush Limbaugh's home. Very good. Okay. Now I am uh, geographically aware. Thank you, Carol. Uh, so what do you have in your mind? Well, <laughs> that was originally why I called. But I have been wrongly accused. I'm broke. I'm on Social Security. Um, I had to put forth several thousand dollars to clear my name. And I have great-great-great-grandfathers, father and son, fought in the Revolutionary War. And you got to help me out. I'm kind of confused here. What, what in particular is, is this pertaining to? me uh, and I'm trying to adopt a baby I'm 75 but I've been cop assaulted unfairly that I just had two tumors removed from my neck as wow. a result of the assault well, uh, Carol, I, I, there pretty much are not words, uh, but uh, you know, certainly prayers to you and you know, best wishes on on what comes next. It sounds like you've been through a great deal of misfortune there. Uh, let's go to Rich in uh, Costa Mesa, California. Rich, go. Hey, Brian. Um, I'm just here to talk about um, what one of the other callers called about when they took God out of schools we need to get god back in schools but also we're bringing guns back to schools in a safe way with the usa clay target league and out here in california where you think there weren't any guns at all i started a, um, a team at my daughter's high school when she was a senior how did you get that through well the league started as a 501c3 out of minnesota where they have more teams than you can shake a stick at back in 2001 and my day job is a surgical nurse in the operating room, and I volunteer as a range safety officer at Camp Pendleton. And a buddy of mine down there asked me if I'd heard about this, and I didn't. So he gave me the website. I went on to usaclaytarget.com and then uh, looked at it and immediately sent uh, a text to my son's football coach, who was still on staff at the school. And I said, um, are you interested? And he immediately replied back, let's do it. So we started a team. 
and the teams compete virtually. So we only had two teams in California last year, one in Southern California and one near Sacramento because uh, the teams, um, you know, they go to the, the range on their own schedule. They post their scores, and uh, there's an algorithm that doesn't allow coaches to stack teams up with a bunch of ringers. So it's very fair. It's a true Title IX sport. It's an adaptive sport. Every kid that's on the team gets to participate. There's no bench warmers. And um, we had, out of a very small high school of about 450 kids, we had 53 kids show up to an interest meeting, more than we had on the football team. That's pretty incredible. Getting that done in, in California, you've moved mountains. Uh, so so well done. And, and maybe it'll be a template for some other folks listening. Uh, let's go to, speaking of teams, by the way, let's go to Cliff in Connecticut. Cliff, go. Hey, boy, thanks for taking my call. Hey, listen, I heard the segment about the, um, during the break, about Trump, and he made his comments about the, the football players and the basketball players that come into the White House. Right. But then with, with so much class and dignity and respect from Trump, he says, hey, if they don't want to come, then the hell with them. They don't have to be here. That's a class act. I've never seen anybody in the White House that has so much dignity and class as a guy in the office right now. How about that? <laughs> No, it's it's fine. Uh, it, it, nobody said, nobody said that he wasn't crude at times. But what he did do was call their bluff. Because again, the other thing that he said is, "Hey, if you have a legitimate issue, you, you know, you, you're protesting because of social justice stuff. So if you know somebody and they've been wronged, I'm here. I'll listen to you." So it might not be a class act in that sense. That's fair. However, what matters? What matters most? You know, I say there are two sides to stories and one side to facts. The fascinating thing, the truly fascinating thing, as I analyze Donald Trump, the president, as I analyze Barack Obama, the president, we literally have as much dichotomy as you potentially could have. And not necessarily just about policy, but about the presidents themselves. Take Barack Obama. Barack Obama, if you ask the average American, what do you think of him? Well, the average American liked him, right? He looked nice. He, he said things that sounded nice. He said things that people liked. And then, with his policy, people hated it. In an aggregate of the Obama years, only 30% of Americans thought we had been heading in the right direction. If you take a look at all of his signature policy, was any of it actually popular, let alone effective? Only president uh, that we've ever had in our country's history. I mean, even Captain Peanut, Jimmy Carter, had a year above 4% growth. We never had a president that didn't have 3% growth. We didn't have 3% growth under Barack Obama. We average 1.8% for his entire presidency. So people like Barack Obama, the president, on policy, people hate it. Okay. Then you enter Donald Trump, and he's the exact opposite to the average American. You ask the average American, what do you think of him? Well, we know that the average American holds an unfavorable opinion. Maybe it's for what you cited, Cliff. Maybe it's the idea that, uh, hey, he's uncouth, or maybe it is just all about policy. But the point is, the point is, yeah, you're right. There's some things that rub people the wrong way. But what matters most? What matters most? Could it be that based on what economic number you look at, we have the best economy in anywhere from 
12 to 32 years? Could it be that with the lowest unemployment rate in 18 years and the average American having net take-home pay that is 5.4% higher right now than a year ago? By the way, don't listen to the nonsense liars out there that say, oh, you know, wage growth is only 2.7%. It's averaging 2.7% year over year, tracking pretty much with economic growth. Okay, fine. Uh, But when you add in the tax cuts, the net effect, 5.4%. Yeah, go back 32 years to find the last time we did that well. So when you take a look at the policies, what really matters? His policies are popular. In fact, polling this week shown that 70% of Americans give Donald Trump credit for the economy. So again, two sides to stories, one side to facts. But if you like the guy that gives you a bullcrap economy and bullcrap policy, amen. You can go vote for him and like him and screw things up again. Well done. Um, all right, I'm Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mark Lovin. But Rudy is doing a very good job, actually. <laughs> Rudy's Rudy. Yeah, he's doing a good job, actually. <laughs> oh, funny stuff. All right, uh, let's go to Tony real quick in Augusta. Uh, Tony, if you'll make it fast. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking my call. As I was telling the call screen, I'm an African-American. I'm a 100% Trump supporter. It's like this here, when you sit there, and especially in the black community, when you sit there and they want to educate themselves about meticulously about how the government works, who, who all the players are, and, and actually with all this talk about what Trump's saying and all this kind of good stuff, they, they keep focusing with what the mainstream media keep keeping them misguided with, okay? Instead of them actually mixing it up a little bit and educating themselves about really what is he genuinely doing that we know, we know, we know we could actually go and research even if you got to go to the GAR, the Labor Statistic Office, and pull numbers and all this kind of stuff to see if he's being honest with us. He's genuinely rebuilding this country and looking out for this nation. God bless you, Tony. <laughs> Lead on, my friend. Bureau of Labor Statistics stuff. That sounds like what I would do. Um, you know, again, that's, that's hard work. Uh, well, well done. Speaking of well done, Mark Levin, pretty incredible. Uh, he's up for the Hall of Fame, and you can make this happen. Listeners, make this happen. All you do is text 500 to 96,000. It's texting 500 to 96,000. And you can help the great one make the Hall of Fame. It's pretty cool. I remember the uh, the first time that I met uh, Mark Levin. It's 11 years ago. He was visiting some uh, family and also Rush here in the area. And he got in before a show. And it was still in the early years then. And uh, he got in, in like three, four hours early for a show. And he's kind of wanting to keep a low profile. So he's hanging out in my office. I was doing a little work and we just struck up a conversation. And it was the most engaging, incredible conversation that went on hours. <laughs> we, we talked until I think about half hour before he went on the air. And then I was like, holy cow, I just kept him from doing all the show prep. And he was amazing. He is the great one. 500 to 96,000. And set your DVR for life, liberty, and live in on the Fox News Channel Sunday at 10. It's a great show. We always hit it on the DVR. He's got Representative Ron DeSantis and Lee Zeldin. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Brian Mudd in for the great one.